Hey, this is me. Did you move today? Welcome to the Did You Move Today podcast. I'm your host, Andrea. And in this episode, I have Carrie Collins as my guest. So let's get started. I've been coming for about two years. And what I really like about it is that it's a very relaxed environment. And um, over time, I've learned more body awareness and realized that some of my uh, muscles have been overstretched. So it helps that there's a strength component and a uh, stretching component. And then the thing that I find really fascinating is the um, problem solving that Carrie does. Because some of the exercises I'll do and the muscles don't engage and then she'll have me do other exercises, other exercises, and then all of a sudden I feel it. I'm like, oh my God, that's amazing. Like, how does that work? <laughs> so, and I just found real benefit over the years in keeping my muscles limber. And I used to have problems with my knees, like folding it in, and over time that has improved. And so now I just feel better overall. I've been doing uh, Kiara stretching for about two years. And the thing I like about this the most is that it allows me to problem solve um, every, every part of my body. You don't know that one part of your body is connected to the other. And this class allows you to be self-aware and self-discover um, all the muscles that you never knew you had or is connected. Um, I had some issues with my elbow, but over time, um, you come to class every week and you find ways to solve it. And now uh, my elbow is in very good condition or has improved a lot. And so I think uh, and I use Kihara stretching also as a maintenance other than working out. And it's a very good complement to other intensive type of exercise. So it's uh, very beneficial overall. Hi, Carrie. I'm very excited to have you here. I am so excited too. Thank you so much for coming back in. No, thank you for the class. I really had a, a good time and it was also very hard, yeah. <laughs> for sure. Um, so if you can tell me a little bit about yourself, uh, for those of you that are listening, um, Carrie was on episode seven and I will put it on the show notes. Um, so if you can tell me just a couple of sentences of who you are. Yeah, I am. Um, question, a couple sentences. I'm an instructor in the Kihara method of resistance stretching. Um, I've been doing this for 12 years now. I own a studio in Chicago called Stretch Chi. Um, basically, the, my history is that I was a professional pianist for many, many years, and I had basically ruined my body by playing the piano too much. It was a lot of repetitive stress, but also just amazing amounts of muscular imbalances. And the only method that I found that fixed it was resistance stretching. And so in the mix of um, wanting to heal myself, I became obsessed with this method and wanted to learn everything about it, which turned into my career. So <laughs> here I am teaching resistance stretching to everyone who will listen. Great. Um, so I have, my first question for you is, I remember on episode seven, you said no adjustments to an end pose mm -hmm. at all. And yeah. I, I believe you said that you don't do adjustments and that you don't believe in adjustments. Um, so I would like to know your thoughts on that sentence, um, especially because sometimes I feel like I go to other classes um, and That's the instructor wants to adjust me the whole time. Yeah. And sometimes I don't feel so comfortable in my body and I'm like, oh my God, this hurts, but I don't want to be rude and be like, hey, don't touch me. You right, know? right, yeah. And I know some instructors will even be like, if you don't want to be touched, raise your hand or whatever. But 
there are sometimes when it's okay for somebody, and if I'm taking a yoga class for a teacher to come by and be like, try it this way or try it that way, that's okay for me. But sometimes I've had people push me when I'm working on my own thing. And I'm like, hey, you just ruined what I'm working on. Or um, I've had people come in here many times who have been injured, who have come in and said, you know, I've had this back injury for a long, long time. I got it from yoga class. And it's, um, it's a hard thing a lot of times for yoga people to hear, but people are getting injured in yoga classes. So we need to address that issue. And, um, and one of the issues is that people are adjusting without really understanding somebody's body, but wanting them to look like a certain pose. Um, there's a reason why, <laughs> the idea of not adjusting in an M pose, there's a reason why yoga is very Instagram worthy is because they, the photographs look really good when somebody's in a pose and they're holding that pose. Um, Kihara does not photograph pretty because we're constantly in movement. So it's kind of like trying to catch somebody when they're running or something. Like they never look good, right? So um, it's the idea of adjusting at the end pose, in my opinion, is that it's just too late. Like once you get into that position, if you're not landing in a position in a safe way or in a way that... Um, that your body is looks safe in, which is basically what the instructor is trying to change. Sometimes I think is that it just doesn't look safe to them. Then, um, then it's too late. So when we do kihara, you're basically moving in and out of stretches. The stretch is actually happening during the movement, not at the end. And so you're actually getting um, the progress, the, ad the adaptation in the muscle is happening as you're moving. So if you hold a pose, you're losing that opportunity to actually make adaptations to your body. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's, um, there are a lot of reasons why. I'm like, don't, don't waste your time making adjustments when the problem isn't in the adjustment. The problem's in the movement getting into that pose. Um, okay. So I have a question, and it's, it's a question that a lot of dancers ask all the time. Mm -hmm. How do I increase my flexibility? Um, and there is a big misconception of, like, how to do that. Mm -hmm. um, and you know the story, as a dancer, sometimes they want to push us yeah. to those limits. Um, and I was talking to someone else the other day, and this person was like, yeah, but it's to perform. Mm -hmm. You are performing. So the intention of this is to perform. So sometimes like the artistic director can bring you, can bring you to this, uh, she basically has this idea of how you should look, or you know, the, the idea of like the art, the, the art itself, like the choreography itself. So um, sometimes they, she brings us into this like end, uh, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So like, how do I increase flexibility? In a safe way. <laughs> the, the big question is how can you increase flexibility safely, right? Yeah. Um, when an instructor is pushing you aggressively into a position like that, especially if you're not resisting against them. Although at those end ranges, I don't think there's any way you could not resist against them because you're trying to protect yourself from breaking, right? Mm -hmm. So there is resistance in that moment when they're pushing on you. Uh, but if it happens aggressively, there's tears that happen. And then the risk for injury is very high. So basically, when I see dancers who are able to do extreme ranges of motion, they're also able to push out of it. So like when you see a ballerina who can do an extreme split, she can also have two people holding her from each angle, and she can support herself in that position. That's safe. That's totally fine. But if you don't have the strength to be able to hold yourself in that place or to push yourself out of it, then you are not in a safe 
amount of range of motion. So when I think about flexibility and how we define flexibility in the Kihara method is um, you have to be able to push yourself out of that range of motion. Your muscles have to be able to put on the brakes to stop you before you hurt yourself. So a lot of the motions we do, especially like today we did a reverse push-up. That reverse push-up is just an eccentric training exercise. Eccentrics is when you take the muscle from short to long against a force, right? So we're doing eccentric training a lot of times. And the whole idea of eccentrics is that your body slows you down, puts on the brakes before you dislocate something or break something. Mm -hmm. So for instance, when we're doing the push-up, basically what I'm training you to do is that if you fell on the ground and couldn't catch yourself with your knees, could you stop yourself with your arms before you hit the floor? And um, it's basically what dancers need to be trained to do too. The good thing about dance though is that they're actually in constant movement mm -hmm. the whole time. So they're not really holding poses very often. You rarely see a dancer mm -hmm. completely holding a, mo a move. Um, even if they are stuck in one place, it's isometric because they have to hold themselves there. So they're protected in a way. Um, just because of the nature of dance. Also, you'll notice that dancers are incredibly strong, like incredibly strong. So um, I went to, the symphony just had a, a production with the Joffrey Ballet, and the, the ballerina's quads looked like they could have been like football players. I mean, the dancers are not weak by any means. Now, when we talk about flexibility though, for dancers, it's one thing. For gymnasts, it's one thing. They can go into extreme ranges of motion and still push out of those ranges of motion. I don't see the same thing in people who are training for range of motion um, goals, like um, for people who are training in yoga to be able to do like contortionist type moves. There are other people who do yoga who are training in yoga for their own benefit. But when you're training to try to do something that your body is not capable of doing without having the resistance to get out of it, then you are lining yourself up for failure and injury. Can we talk about resistance stretching? Um, does that mean that it goes to like from concentric to eccentric and from eccentric to concentric? Yes. So does that mean that I am um, expanding the sarcomeres and then short shortening? That's the right word, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, the sarcomeres. So I'm actually working. Um, I want to make sure that I'm saying this right. The muscle fibers. Yeah, from the from the, the very okay. Level. I mean, we are stretching from the from the very, like the microfilaments. And just to give you a, an example, I mean, there are, I think 10,000 sarcomeres in a muscle cell. Like in a, I mean, it's a, I think Jules Mitchell says that the, um, the sarcomeres are like, like a strand of hair is like 25 times thicker. I, maybe I'm saying this the wrong way, but 25 times thicker than a, um, than a muscle, than a sarcomere. I mean, it's like, they're really little, right? So we're working on these microfibers, um, very small. The research that's just come out recently, and I wish I had the, um, the research to cite this, but um, the guy's name is Herzog, I believe. He, um, he has done some research on eccentric training and what's actually happening at the muscle level, at the, in these, like inside the sarcomere. And the idea in the past, and I'm talking about like within the past couple years, was that you have actin and myelin, and those two things work together, sliding back and forth, and that's what creates the accordionness of the sarcomere. So sarcomeres shorten and then they lengthen. But recently, we figured out that there's a third filament, and it's called titan. Titan acts like a spring, and so basically, what happens when the muscle expands against resistance, the titan grabs in a different way and uses a molecule of calcium. 
and we don't really completely understand it. I can't claim to really understand it completely, but when the sarcomere expands, the Titan acts differently when you're resisting as opposed to when you're doing a static stretch. Mm -hmm. So there is actually a difference in the two types of stretching from a cellular level. Then it Titan acts sort of like a spring, so it contracts back in, uh, in a stronger way. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Can we say that um, when we do eccentric stretching, that there is some sort of proliferation of the sarcomeres or or no the, the, I, I feel like i've read this before but yeah. i don't know if i'm seeing this right can i say that they they they, they proliferate um or no yeah i don't know explain to me a little bit more what you i feel like so i was reading something about like sarco there's sarcomere genesis? Yes. Yeah, so it's actually creating new sarcomeres. New sarcomeres. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so when you do eccentric training, there's actually, this is, a, I think, a theory. I mean, a lot of this is still yeah, very yeah. new research. Okay. So, um, so it's hard to say whether some things are theories or whether they're like, they've been proven so far, but there is very new research about this, that when you do eccentric training, your muscles actually create more sarcomeres, like create new sarcomeres. That's pretty impressive. Because when you when do you talk eccentric. About, yes, yeah. When you do a resistance stretch, basically. Yeah. So, um, so you're creating a longer, leaner muscle with more capacity to contract and more capacity to expand, right? Mm -hmm. so, um, so there is more in that sense. Um, some other things that I've read is that the sarcomeres actually, um, they can get bound up by connective tissue and mucus and... Um, and they get kind of stuck together. That's kind of what happens when you get dense tissue or when you get um, a scar tissue or um, just even a knot in your muscle. It's basically like that portion of the muscle is kind of all bound up and stuck together. It's like glued together. Mm -hmm. So when you do resistance stretching, it actually helps to unlock those sarcomeres. So you get this like popping sarcomere effect, which opens it up. And we saw that today in class. Yeah. Um, where you know you can kind of almost feel it. It feels a little bit like carbonation as you're opening it up. You feel this little um, little vibration. I definitely can feel it when I'm working one on one with clients because I stretch them in like an assisted session. But when you're doing your own session, like your own self stretching, you might not feel it so much. But um, but you actually can release those knots at the like inside the muscle, right? Mm. By uh, by doing resistance stretching. Not quite sure exactly how that happens, but it does make for a more stable sarcomere. And if you've got a more stable sarcomere in your muscle fiber and you create that over, you know, billions of sarcomeres in your body, then you have a more stable, stronger body. Yeah. Makes sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Um, I guess this goes to my question. Why is resistance, resistance stretching the way to go? Yeah, this is important. I mean, it's really, I feel like resistance stretching should be everyone's go-to. When I when they're in pain, right? When they're in pain or when they're trying to, um, to create mobility in their body. What resistance stretching does is it actually like turns back the hands of time. And that's a big thing to say, but if you lose mobility because of tightness in your body or because your muscles can't contract and release like they used to, resistance stretching can create that ability to contract and release in your muscles so that your muscles can shorten and lengthen. And that creates more mobility, the ability to fold your muscles as well as the ability to stretch your muscles with strength and also with the ability to put on the brakes when you need them so that if you fall or if you, um, you lose your balance or something that you can come back to center very quickly. Uh, we call that dynamic stability. So you basically are more stable in all of your movements. 
Um, one exercise that we did today in class was a like tipping bird balancing exercise, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in a in a yoga class, people would just go right into that pose. I think it's full moon pose or half moon oh, pose. Oh yeah, half moon. Uh, you just fall right into that pose and like try to hang out there, but you're using your arms and your legs to kind of balance you in that position. But in Kihara, we actually go from standing to that position, which trains your body to bend over and pick things up without falling over, which is something that I want to be able to do until I'm 110 years old, right? <laughs> I don't want to ever have to worry about falling down and breaking my hip or losing the ability to squat down to pick something up and like having that mobility in my knees. That's why resistance stretching is so important. It's mainly because we build more stability in all of our movements and your muscles have the ability to stop and slow you down at extreme ranges of motion. That's important for everybody in everyday life, but also super important for athletes and super important for dancers and you know, things like we've said. Like you can imagine for an athlete, like if I was a baseball player and somebody threw a ball at me, I would have to be able to catch that ball and let it stretch my arm out while the force of the ball is pushing my arm backwards without my arm dislocating. And then from there, I wanna be able to recoil and throw the ball back again, right? Mm-hmm. So when you think of it that way, you get a safe range of motion, an extreme range of motion, a spring back, um, the ability to push back out of that range of motion with strength right with um with more bounce and that creates better performance in everything you do i know you mentioned you've talked about compensation patterns mm-hmm. uh, in the past can you tell me a little bit about yes, that yes i can tell you a lot about that so um this is also one of the major key components of resistance stretching so and not just resistance stretching in general but this is a kihara um, technique that we use for problem solving um, we've discovered that people have compensation patterns. I mean, we haven't discovered that. That's common knowledge that we build compensation patterns. Some compensation patterns are good for you, like um, learning to walk is a compensation pattern. Like when, you, when you're a child and you stand up and you lean over, you fall down. And so you learn to put your foot out to catch you and then you don't fall over and then you do fall over. So then you learn to put the other foot in front of you. Before you know it, you're stepping and, um, and that's how you walk. Or the same thing as like learning a, to ride a bicycle is a compensation pattern. So you get on the bike and you're going forward and then you tip over because you've leaned one way. So the next time you go up, your body learns that it has to lean the other way, but then you fall over the other side. And then you learn that you have to keep that lean back and forth. That's not something that somebody tells you really. I mean, I don't remember my parents ever being like, don't lean to the right so much, don't lean to the left so much. You can't do that consciously. If you did, you'd fall down every time. But your body can autocorrect and it can make that change happen quickly and easily and you never forget it because your body doesn't want to be in a painful place. It doesn't want to fall over. So it does everything it can to make sure you don't do that. So compensation patterns happen all the time. It's not just learning to ride a bicycle or, you know, learning to walk. It's like when you fall down, it's... um, when you're in a car accident, I see compensation patterns all the time from people who've been in car accidents. So now they drive with a lot of tension. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a lot of reasons why people have fight or flight mode when they're in cars, or they get road rage, is because they, they go into fight or flight mode because their body's protecting them because they've been attacked. I said that with the quotation marks. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been attacked in their car by another car. And it's not something that you really think about because you're like, well, I haven't really been attacked. It was just a car accident. But your body doesn't know the difference. I see it in people who've had surgery. 
they, um, they don't know, like your body doesn't know that you voluntarily decided to go under anesthesia and have someone cut you in half, like, you know, so your body protects you. And so people build compensation patterns after surgeries. Um, you build compensation patterns when you wear new shoes. I mean, it's all different things happen where your body is like, that hurts, I'm not going to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Even just getting a blister in your shoe will create a compensation pattern where you'll, you'll start walking differently. The problem with compensation patterns is that they're very hard to get rid of once you have them. So like learning to ride a bicycle is a prime example. You don't ever forget how to ride a bicycle because your body knows once I'm on this thing, if I lean over, it's going to hurt. So I'm not going to do that anymore. It's the same thing with being in the car. Your body's like, when I relaxed here before and I got rear-ended, that was a bad thing. So now I'm going to tense up my body. Or um, even something like psychological, like if you've had a handful of breakups or like you have a boss that really bothers you or you feel very vulnerable, then the compensation pattern is to pull your shoulders in and kind of collapse into your chest and you become that person who like can't open up and feels like contracted, Mm -hmm. right? That's a compensation pattern. It's a protective mechanism that your body does to make sure that you don't go into a painful place again, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we all have them. Everybody does. The more injuries you've had, the more compensations you have, though. So people who are injury prone, like, um, or not, I wouldn't say injury prone. People with more compensation patterns are more injury prone because their bodies aren't working like babies anymore, right? Um, I started playing the piano when I was four, which meant that I started building really weird patterns in my body and with injuries that happened over time and then um, holding my body and building strength in a really odd way, like sitting at a piano with my arms internally rotated and my back a little bit forward, um, it created a lot of patterns. So then by the time I was in my 20s, I was having major pain, like major, major pain. The kind of pain that people have now, like people I see who are in their 60s have, Mm -hmm. I was having pain like that. Resistance stretching helped me remove that pain. But I see it a lot in people who are, um, they come in here in their late 20s, early 30s, and in extreme amounts of pain. And usually what it comes down to is that they started doing something at a very young age. Learning to play golf, dancing, um, some competitive instrument, you know, all the like competitive sports, when you, if you start at a young age, like four or five, and you're competitive by the time you're probably a teenager, then that will start to show itself in the 20s. So it's just these building compensation patterns. So what we do with Kihara is we do this method of problem solving. It's the order that you do stretches in because sometimes you do a stretch and your body's not ready to do that stretch yet. It's because your brain is trying to compensate. So it's sending the signal to a different muscle because it doesn't want you to stretch that muscle. It's Mm -hmm. not ready. Um, So basically, resistance stretching gives you the cues to let you know that you're compensating. It does that basically by... um, let me explain how this works. When we're in class, you do the stretch, and I tell you where you're supposed to feel the stretch, and if you don't feel it there, or if you feel pain, or if you feel something, something odd, something strange, then I know that there's a problem. And so that tells me that we need to stretch a different muscle. So I stop people in class and have them just do a completely different stretch. When you're doing resistance stretching, it creates that elasticity in the sarcomeres. It starts to remove that tension, and so what you get is a muscle that can shorten more, a muscle that can lengthen more. Mm-hmm. And so it's elastic on both ends. It's not just stretchy. It actually has the ability to contract more. So they can, um, they can actually fold the muscles that are kind of getting in the way, that are stopping them, and that will help remove the compensation patterns. Don't know exactly how it works. I mean, there's some neuromuscular stuff. I just know that it does work because over experience, I've seen it happen so many times. Research is coming out now that we can see that there's something happening when we do resistance stretching, but we don't know exactly what yet. Kind of like 
researching the bottom of the ocean, you know? <laughs> Do you collaborate with, um, well, I actually have two questions. Do you collaborate with doctors or movers or just like other people? Um, and also, that's one of my questions. And then the other question is, what are your thoughts on continuing education? Mm -hmm. I've noticed how sometimes there is this, um, there's a lot of uh, trainings and the training is just like one day or something. Mm -hmm. And then after that, then people become teachers. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, which is, I guess, nice in a way, mm -hmm. but also, uh, You know, you you you, you get what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, well, let me address the first question. If I collaborate, I mean, yes, for sure, as much as possible. Um, so, a lot of the people that I collaborate with are people who are open to new research, which is um, amazing how many people are not, or how many people are stuck in this idea that like static stretching is the thing. Like, I was on Facebook the other day, and Northwestern Medicine posted an um, an advertisement about like six great static stretches that you can do right now. Mm -hmm. And I opened it up and I was like, holy cow, like who is this person who thinks that putting six static stretches on here, like clearly have not done their research. Static stretching is really not that effective. So why not put different stretches? Like I couldn't believe this was coming out of Northwestern. I was pretty upset about that. But there are other people who are doing great work. I mean, Jules Mitchell is one of the big ones that um, is starting to talk about eccentric training. She's the first person ever who has put resistance stretching in a table about stretching. <laughs> so we have like you know all the different types of stretching, and resistance stretching has its place on the list. Um, she's doing you know she's doing great work, very good work. There are other people in different types of body work who are doing resistance stretching. That um, like Scott Cougahan is doing M11 um, with the LDOA method. Uh, there's um, DCT is another one, dynamic contraction technique. Um, Bob Cooley with his work, um, resistance flexibility training. Um, there is a lot of different methods of resistance stretching that are out there. So we're collaborating with each other as much as we can. I work with chiropractors a lot. I work with acupuncturists a ton. Um, different types of body workers for sure, as much as possible. Uh, so that's kind of that's kind of how we work together. A lot of times it's trading clients back and forth. So like I have my clients and if I find that there's something that I'm doing that's not working or if I can see a barrier that's not muscular related, then I'll send them on to someone else. Okay. Yeah, I do find that Western medicine a lot of times um, doesn't quite have the answers that we have. And I think that's just uh, because body work is, has the ability to be a little bit more innovative without as much testing. So. Um, So I do find that I get a lot of people who are like rejects from physical therapy and, um, or have gone places like, you know, to, to, they've gone to like big medical institutions and, um, and been sent home with pain pills. I mean, that's where people are like, we can't help you. There's nothing we can do. And then they come here and they can, um, yeah, they can find some, find some relief or find some answers that they hadn't had before. Yeah. Second question was, um, Oh, continuing ed. Yes. So there are a lot of certifications out there now. It seems to be kind of the way that people are making money. It's actually one of the big things for yoga studios yeah, to, sure. um, to be successful. So, um, you know, for a yoga studio to actually continue to make money, the teacher trainings are a big, big um, income boost for them. So they're everywhere, you know, so people are getting certified in, in everything they can get their hands on. Um, in my opinion, if you go to a, a one-day workshop 
and you're certified the next day um, without the ability to practice, then you're probably doing a disservice to that method and also to your clients. Um, if it's just a simple tool that you can apply with something else you're doing, like if you are already a massage therapist and this is just a little bit different way to massage, then that's fine, right? If you're a yoga teacher and this is just a little bit of a, um, a, you know, a little bit more information, more tools in your toolbox, no problem. But if you go to a workshop, like for instance, I know you were at Jules Mitchell's workshop mm -hmm. last year. Um, Jules creates giant paradigm shifts in how yoga teachers think about what they're doing. So when you leave that workshop and you've had this huge paradigm shift, then what do you do with it? So um, I think that's what people need to think about when they're getting continuing education is that there is new research out, out about how the body works. You are going to need to give yourself time to accommodate your, your belief system, right? Or to at least like, accept that paradigm shift, practice it, and then see if it works for you, um, and then go on. So like we have a continuing education course here. I wouldn't even call it continuing education. We have a certification course for Kihara trainers. Uh, it takes about three years to get through it. We have four levels of training. Um, the first level um, you have to test out of. Um, second level you also have to test out of. And it takes people, I would say, anywhere from like six months to a year just to take their test from level one. Um, we take pride in that and making sure that our students are very well educated, and that before they work on clients, that they can actually do it. <laughs> you know, so I think it's really important in that sense to think like, can you, if you're teaching a certification course, can you, with good confidence, send your students out the next day to work on clients? If not, you have to think of some checks and balance to make sure that the people that you're putting out are good quality trainers, and vice versa. If you're the student. Are you really able to do this work? Yeah. yeah. Two more questions for you, Carrie. Um, did you move today? Did I? Yeah, well, we took class today. Um, <laughs> when I'm teaching class, I do a lot of stretching on one side of my body and um, standing up and sitting down and laying down and getting up and moving around. So, um, so other than that, I haven't done any like, focused work for myself yet, but I will. I get to keep my own body balanced for sure. Great. What's movement for you? Movement for me is um, definitely stretching, <laughs> moving my body um, in, a, in a mobile way. Um, I don't work out at all. I think some of these um, like extreme workouts, I've, I don't know, maybe because I see so many people come in here who are injured, I have no desire to try any of them. Um, but I do really appreciate being able to stretch, being able to use my muscles in a great way. Um, I also have fibromyalgia. We haven't talked about this at all, I don't think. And so for me, resistance stretching helps to pull out the tension from fibromyalgia. Uh, but if I do too much working out, I get really tired and um, it doesn't feel good to me. So I spend a lot of time listening to my body. When I do move, I'm very mindful and pay attention to what's going on. Um, that's why I love resistance stretching because I feel, I feel really active, but I'm also very much paying attention to what's going on in my muscles at any given time. And you can't really think about anything else. So you leave feeling like you meditated or you've had this very mindful experience, but it also doesn't feel like it's forced mindfulness. So yeah, so that's movement for me. Well, I think you work out because this for me was, <laughs> it's a workout for yeah. sure. Yeah. And there is like this, you know, when you go to a stretching class that I guess this idea in my head that I will feel like, oh, 
Mm-hmm. But then, no, like, when, when I came here, I'm like, okay, it's, it's actually sometimes that feeling, but sometimes not even. I'm yeah. actually working. It's time to work when you're here. Yeah. And people usually feel pretty loose and relaxed the rest of the day. Sometimes people have to leave here and go home and take a long nap because mm-hmm. their bodies worked out so much stuff. But this is not the class to come to if you want to take a nap. It is not... Um, it's not the class if you want to, you know, zone out and not pay attention to your own body. Because in here, you are forced to think about everything that's happening in your body. It's very cerebral. Um, and we're going we're gonna to approach things that are sometimes, you know, I wouldn't say scary. But it's things that, movements that may be difficult for you and see if we can find answers to them in a way that will take the fear out. So, um, so yeah, it is a, I wouldn't say a tough class, but you are working. For sure. Yeah. Carrie, where can we find you? Ah, I am in the Fine Arts Building um, in Chicago on, um, on Michigan Avenue right by Grant Park. Uh, but you need to sign up for classes and stuff. You can't just show up. So go to my website. It's stretchchi.com. And that's a great place to start. I also have Instagram. It's Carrie, C-A-R-R-I-E, stretchchi, S-T-R. E T C H C H I. Um, it's Carrie Stretch Chi is my Instagram page. That's another good place to go to. I also have a YouTube channel. It's Stretch Chi. Um, that has videos where you can do these stretches at home if you want to try them out before coming in or if you don't live close by. Um, that's a good place to go to. Great. Yeah. Um, anything else that you would like to share? Um, no, I think we've covered a lot. I think I can't think of anything off the top of my head. But yeah, thanks so much for having me today. This is so fun. No, thank you very much. I, I mean, you know, I'm very grateful for you. And um, it's interesting how we just found, like, found you. So I'm, I'm very, um, yeah, I'm, I'm just, you know, happy. Happy that there's people like you um, in Chicago doing things that I feel a lot of artists need. And everyone in general. I mean, the whole world. Yeah. yeah. I know. When I think about... I think from a business perspective, everyone tells you that you should market to a niche audience. And um, it's really hard for me to do that because I, you know, someone asked me once, like, well, who do you work on? And I was like, well, basically everyone who has muscles, I mean, like people who move, but also people who can't. I mean, I've had people in here who have canes or like, you know, we've worked on MS, right? MS, um, stroke victims, cerebral palsy. Um, I have a whole group of trainers up at, up north who work with brain trauma at a um, rehabilitation center in Minnesota and they yeah they work on um, on all sorts of like people who are in wheelchairs people have amputations I mean all sorts of things where um, regular mobility exercise won't work for them but this does so yeah yeah, it's kind of amazing because the in a self-stretch class you're actually using your own body weight you're using resistance or you're using your your arms to stretch your legs or whatever um so you you do have to have all of your all of your limbs to do that but in an assisted stretching session the client's laying on the floor and I push and pull them into different positions so basically with any limitation like I can stretch people who have casts on I can you know I can stretch people who have you know have lost an arm or any I mean it's it's pretty amazing that this work can actually be done for people who, who really need it without, you know, without all the resources that you wouldn't have if you were, you know, 
Yeah. <laughs> maybe we can talk about that. Like, can we talk about that later? Yeah, yeah. for sure, because it's that's something that I'm very interested in. Like, people interested, interested, right? Like, mm-hmm. people with zero palsy or multiple sclerosis. Like, yeah. how that, 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 that would be a great topic yeah. for next time. It's so, there's so many good, especially I find that it's very useful for people with, um, with like chronic fatigue syndrome, with any autoimmune system, any autoimmune diseases where traditional exercising doesn't quite work for them. It's, um, it's very, very useful for that. It's, I don't know, it's for everybody. It's, yeah. you know, for basically, you know, my friend who I was talking to with marketing was like, you so basically anybody who's above ground, and I was like, yeah, actually, yeah, anybody who's above ground needs to know this method, needs to know this work. Great. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Carrie, for, for being here for the class. And guys, I hope you like this episode. Um, go and check uh, Carrie Collins, uh, Stretch Chi, and I'll make sure to post everything on the show notes. Um, I hope that you move today. And if you haven't, you still have a couple hours.